When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Welcome to the second half of my big interview with Stephen Glass. In this part, Stephen reflects on playing under greats such as Hullet and Viali and how his coaching brain started to form under Tony Mowbray at Hibs. You'll hear Stephen's forthright views on pressing and his reflections on the pillars of his coaching team at Aberdeen, including assistant coach Alan Russell, once striker coach for England, and the dressing room leader, Scott Brown. Stephen also talks about his time coaching in Atlanta, at the same time as Tata Martino made Atlanta champions of the MLS, and how Stephen built his relationship with Aberdeen chairman Dave Cormack while he was stateside. This is Stephen Glass on The Big Interview. You've clearly got a very strong view about pressing in general, how easy it is yeah. to achieve, how well people do it. Yeah. Where it can let you down if you... Yeah. yeah. Stephen, let's talk pressing. <laughs> yeah, ask me a question. <laughs> I like that. That's what I would say if I was sitting there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give anybody an easy... You're patently a fan. You yeah. patently believe that if pressing is used correctly, mm. you can A, make opposition, surrender the ball in areas they don't want to, mm. and B, give your players the, the chance of doing damage easily because they're higher up the pitch. Yeah. Do you have negative thoughts about pressing? Is it more difficult to execute properly than we, the fans mm-hmm. in the media, think? Physically, yes. Because I don't think you can go and press for 90 minutes. So you have to be... 
you have to be aware of what times you don't press, who you don't press, where you don't press. Uh, when your team's disjointed, you don't press. But uh, I've referred to other people's thoughts at times as well, but I think everybody wants to tell you my team goes and presses. They do. I bet everybody you've interviewed says it. It's like my team... Oh, yeah, we're, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a subject that is far more in vogue yeah. in, in the last... Um, 10 years than it used to be because people didn't talk about it when no. Lippi's Juventus had no. you know uh, Lombardo and Viali and Ravinelli up mm-hmm. front and it was 4-3-3 because in the 90s then when, when Lippi played 4-3-3 people were like it's a tridente and it's just good players and nobody said look what they do yeah they, 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 it's, it's labelled isn't it it's been labelled I think because I think you watch you, you're an Aberdeen fan and before me the, the European nights that they won here Watershy would probably be the number yeah. one in the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup, where the poor old Belgians didn't know if they were footballers or koala bears. Yeah, but you've got you've got Simi and Cooper in the middle of the pitch, and you want to say they weren't pressing at the time. Dougie Bell? Yeah, Strachan, Weir, and all these boys are aggressive types, aggressive players. It wasn't a labelled high pressure at the time. No. And the, the manager wasn't out there saying, we go and high press. That's what I don't, I don't like coming out and putting labels on stuff that we do. I don't I don't like it. So it's the ter- it's both the terminology and the use of the terminology mm-hmm. that chafes with you. You have yeah. to call if you if you if you're asking people to do something, you have to give it a name. No, no, I don't okay. think so. I don't think it's part of your system. Almost, I say it's not. That, what I say, I think, I think people they they both cling to it and they hide behind it. So if you come and say, my team goes and presses high all the time. No, they don't. I'll tell you for a fact, they don't. I'll show you a clip where they don't. But if you keep telling people, my team does this and this and this, people believe you. Okay, theologically then in that case, because you were in the States, as much as you enjoyed Barcelona's football at the time, I, I, I have no idea, and we haven't talked about this, whether you had time to study what Pep was doing mm-hmm. as, as a junior coach. And Pep's rule was, whatever, four or five seconds of yeah. extreme press... Yeah. Out of your traps, unlike what you said, all the time, everywhere, mm-hmm. but then retrench, which fits mm-hmm. jigsaws with what you were saying. You're like, yeah. okay, we can't do that all the yeah. time. Yeah, but people take bits of that and then they think you can just press for 90 minutes no. and you can't. No. And I bet it wasn't every single time that they went for four or five seconds. I bet they didn't. Couldn't. Okay. The, the idea of it is, yeah, I want you to, but when the first guy doesn't do it, the rest don't go. So... They didn't do it every single time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's important you show players and options of if he goes, this is where you go. If he doesn't go and he goes, here's yes. where you go. And I was lucky that, uh, you'll know, Tata Martino was the manager at Atlanta. And I was in the academy working with the 17s and we get to watch him coaching his team every day. And he was brilliant. Explain a little bit about him. I, I, I'll, I'll let people know that he was a very famous player at uh, Boca Juniors, mm-hmm. midfield player who tried to control and use the ball, not like Xavi, not like Guardiola. I, I'm, I'm struggling to find a, a good comparison, but he was a ball player and he was part of a, a good Boca side. When he, took, <laughs> he was so in love with Barcelona that he took his son across the ocean to Barcelona and while well, he was Boca manager and snuck in and paid his thing and went through the museum because he adored the... Had one season at the club where all they won was the Super Cup and, and didn't enjoy himself. 
but you could see he was successful. He made Atlanta champions of yeah. MLS. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about watching him and, and what kind of coaching made him make Atlanta champions. I think he's just very... Th- he had good players, but he was very thorough in, like I say, the options of when we press, we go like this. And if it's not Graham that goes first as the centre-forward, this guy goes. If this guy doesn't go, the centre-midfield player can go. And then what happens off the back of all that? Uh, and th- honestly, the best thing about him, he did a presentation for us, all the coaches at the club, and someone like that, who there, there's people, and I'm saying again, there's people that want to tell you how to do it, and this is how you work, and this is all, this is me, this is how to be great. He came in to a group of academy and reserve coaches and said, this is the presentation, this is what we're going to do, I'm going to show you this. This is the way I work. This is not the way to work. These are options. Mm. And this is a guy that's managed Barcelona, and he's now managing the first team at Atlanta when I was there. Winning every week, and he's saying, if you like it, you can try some of this, but not, you have to do this. Okay. And I think that's the difference with, yeah. with someone that's humble, that is good at their job, that they like the way they work. And they, he's almost apologetic that he's been asked by the sporting director to do a presentation for the academy coaches, as if he's telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think there's a bit of that that we're. I don't think you should be telling people this is how you should work. You know, this is the way to do it. So you, you said instead of a term to, to encompass an idea, you talked about a, maybe a strategy, a philosophy, a way to play, a, a system might be a better word. Um, you, you like pressure in the right way, but what I've heard is you're talking about if you teach people well enough, uh, well enough about if it's this situation, this is what we do. If he does go, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't go, this is what you do. So you're trying to ingrain it in them Spanish people Spanish football people use the word automatismos things that become mm-hmm. automatic so you, you don't have to think about doing the right yeah. things you're thinking about maybe doing the clever creative things because mm-hmm. they become automatic yeah would that be things you're aiming for as a coach yeah 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 so they're general habits of like you said the four or five second thing again it's kind of labelled but it's like as soon as you lose it can you win it back if you can't what do you do you know like they've got to know what the options are. It's not... You tell people you have to win it back in five seconds and they don't, and then they're like, what do we do now? They have to know what the options are. Or even every time we press, this team are knocking it past us. Is it, is it still right to go and press then? I don't think so. so. But you also have to learn, I mean, obviously relatively early in your coaching yeah, yeah. career, but... You have Which to is learn. why I'm more comfortable telling people that, you know what I mean? Because it's in me. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but like, you, you, you're a communicator. You're confident. You, you, you're learning, presumably, if you want them to have this array of skills in their head, and if B, then C, if Y, mm-hmm. then X, you have to work out how quickly individual people take on concepts mm-hmm. or retain them. Or maybe they can take them on and retain them, but not apply them. Yeah. Or they can apply them at home against Falkirk, but if it's the mm-hmm. cup final at Hamden against, yeah. you know who. Yeah. So evaluating all that is is a hard piece of your job, I think. Yeah, it's probably the hardest bit is getting all the information in quick. Uh, but I think having been like coaching youth teams and stuff, where well, coaching kids and then youth teams, where you're coaching three, four teams a night, all that stuff. So you're problem solving constant. 
and then this is Atlanta uh, well even before Atlanta just coaching Shamrock or in North Carolina coaching oh, within youth clubs where you've got four teams to coach and you don't know how big a area of the pitch you're getting you got a quarter of the pitch or you manage to get the two quarters at the end which happens to have the goal in it if you negotiate hard enough <laughs> then you're there early enough that's problem solving yeah so you get all that stuff and then even then the highest part of problem solving being a reserve manager that you're speaking to Barry similar stuff you're playing this team but I'm not giving you these players or I'm giving you these players and then the day before the game you say actually you're not getting any players now you have to get the information into those players so I've, I've just had a couple of years worth of planning for something and then the rug gets pulled and you have to plan again and get information into players less than a day's notice and nobody cares that come to watch the game they just care about what they see so you have to get the information in. I, th- I think that has to be, apart from frustrating, has to be part of the addictive nature. Yeah. Because we, we all like to be told you're on a tightrope. Because if you're yeah. if a confident person, yeah. you're like, throw anything at me. Yeah. I, I can cope. Yeah. But it makes you fail or win it, yeah. with the challenges that nobody else cares about. Yeah. It's what keeps bringing you back the next day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Even, honestly, training sessions in Atlanta was like, like Frank would come and take five players off us to board. And then you've got 12 instead of 17, which is an odd number anyway, whatever, but different numbers. Or they'll send you players, and then they've got to play. And they've got to play for 60 minutes, he's 30 minutes, he's 45 minutes. And you've only got Some people would say, well, bollocks, I'm not making a plan, I'm just going to yeah. throw it all together yeah. and make it up as a goal. And some people yeah. would, because yeah. if, if anybody sits and listens slowly to what you've just said, you're like, what's the point of having... But instead what you do is you learn... Uh, you learn to uh, interpret and react mm-hmm. and roll with the punches and maybe have six or seven plans quietly in your head for it. Yeah. If this happens, then... Yeah, exactly. Well, so then in games now, you've got that in your head as well, like what your subs look like and things like that. I think we've come full circle to what people say to me, right. they see yeah. in you, right. about he's always got a solution, he's always got a yeah. dance with this and in that case. Yeah. Our sponsors are Bet365. In 1999... Stephen came on as a sub in the FA Cup final against Manchester United. That United team went on to win the treble that season. You played against them a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I think you equalised a Beckham goal mm-hmm. for Newcastle. And of course, it was Sir Alex Ferguson that day and winning the, the treble too. They say, was that the most, the best side you ever played against? Probably. Yeah, probably. But what, again, stood out, what stood out about them? The fact that everybody told you they were good, they won the treble. I, I, honestly, again, at that point in my life, I'm at Newcastle United, I don't care about Manchester United. Mm-hmm. So, so probably the best team I played against, probably, but because of the, when you think back, yeah, they won the treble, they had all those superstars, but honestly, at the time, I couldn't care less. See, what strikes me, I was there that day, what strikes me watching them was, they had solutions to it, and I, I thought so all season, because, you know, they had... Um, the game against Inter at Old Trafford where they cleared off the line and won a, a, a pitched battle yep. against Juventus they were pumped at home mm-hmm. pumped Conte scored early and then he scored in the 172nd minute United with a I think maybe a gigs header away at Juventus it's one of the great games I've ever, ever been yeah. at mm-hmm. um, astonishing the Juventus fans who'd been throwing bottles of piss and coins at mm-hmm. us applauded them off at the end mm-hmm. you're like how have, you, how have you made them? Yeah. But they were, like that day, they had, um, I'm pretty sure Keane went off injured. 
and the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah. Speedo done his ankle early, and 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 they were like they didn't blink, and I thought they were ferociously mm-hmm. tough, sportingly aggressive. They were fun to watch. They, yeah, whether they're, they're better than any other team or best ever. Yeah, and nor do I really care. But I mean, they were impressive. Yeah, they were good. They were good. Ruth Tulip. Kind of character was he like to work for? He gave you a lot more playing time than. Yeah, I, I liked him. The senior players didn't. Uh, he he rubbed the senior players up the wrong way. Shearer. Yeah, yeah. Which because do one, of haughtiness or because just because it, you you've seen it with Frank as well. Mm-hmm. The Dutch just say things out it comes. Mm-hmm. There's no dressing whatsoever. Yeah, and I don't mind saying Rude was a bit of a player in his time. Yeah, better than Shearer. I'm not a particular fan of people know this. Well, I don't know that. Sorry, but yeah. no, no, I didn't. everybody who's listening to me does right. they know exactly who I don't like. Right. Hoddle. Um, <laughs> sorry, that is the truth. It was notorious that, that, that there was a bit of tension there. And I went up and interviewed at the time at the training ground, and I'm still fascinated by him because mm-hmm. in my lifetime, he's one of the players. When he won the Ballon d'Or, he's best player, I think 90. Or 89, maybe. There was, there was a distance between him and everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got on all right one, but I was, well, I turned 23 the day after that cup final. I think his first game was my debut for Newcastle, and I did well, so I think that probably stuck in his head, so I, I did all right under him. I can see why the senior players didn't greatly take to him, but to me, the manager's the manager, and you crack on. I this think thing again about... It. Okay, it's not actually his pocket that's paying my wages, but they yeah. pay my wages. He's a manager. Yeah, let's get it on. Let's let's yeah. get it well, done. The, the people that are coming to watch you don't care if you like the manager or not. They care if you try to win a game for their club. So, as a professional, you have to crack on. Did he care much what the senior players thought? No, I don't think so. Because he, in his mind, you know, his mind, he was, I'm the manager. You'll do what I tell you. And at that time, it was a bit of that. And then there's. You're saying that to Alan, and then which that is influencing the other senior professionals at the club. And he said one thing at the, the cup final dinner that we got beat. He, he actually said we did well to get to the cup final with this team. And even as a young player, I was like, that's a little bit strange. And I, I don't know if it was because there was already there was tension. Yeah, I don't know. Feels like a misjudgment. Yeah. Managers choose their words carefully, though, I think. And you. you I, I think you know what you're saying. Or if you don't, you're a fool. But why would you? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Did, did, did you take anything positive from having known him? From did, knowing can him. you lift? Yeah. Uh, I, I never thought that he was necessarily a particularly good coach. At Chelsea, yeah. where he was player coach, and he was demonstrating as he went, if I speak to the Chelsea players from Harlington, which I have done, mm-hmm. there was a different feel for when he was just a suit and he was a trainer at Newcastle. Right. my impression. But of course I wasn't working for him. Yeah. No, I, I liked him. There was a lot of... I know it's the Dutch way because I've seen Frank work as well, yeah. but it's, there was a lot of 11 v 11 stuff. Like, most days, straight up 11 v 11. Rather than say drills to yeah. work on an aspect of something that wasn't... There was less of, Honestly, there was less of that anyway in, when I was playing. Uh, it's funny Nobby Solano phoned me the other day and uh, he actually said that we were talking about like tactics and things and he said there was no tactics there was just a group of good players it's not far off really 
Really? Aye. It was like, hmm. we've got a good group of players, this is the shape, this is them, here's a few of the holes. Get on with it, lads. There, there was a lot of that, yeah. Steve, more, en- more enjoyable? Well, I've not really played under tactical regimes as such, hmm. uh, because I'm too old to have <laughs> kind of seen what's come in. Tony Mowbray came in and was starting to get the first one that really started getting tactical building towards a Saturday, uh, which I really enjoyed. Is it Hibbs? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> so what were the first things that he did with you as a group? That you, Because if I'm not wrong, you had Riordan and you, you presumably had um, a young Scott Brown. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if O'Connor was in the scene there Gaz or not. was there as well. We had Riordan, O'Connor. Whitaker. Whitty, Kev Thompson, Scott. Good player, Kev Thompson. Uh, Dave Murphy came. Boozelin, who was brilliant, yeah. came. Yeah. Uh, Gary Caldwell came. Gary Smith was still a good Gary player. Gary Caldwell playing out from the back, which yeah. is very fashionable now, yeah. but probably wasn't called that then. Yeah, no, it was just guys could pass it. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a good team, but Tony found a way to get the best out of that group of players. So, like, if you could be specific about what began to change, because you said prior to Saturday, he was the first one to say, to bring in aspects of <clears throat> strategy, tactics. Yeah. What changed? Starting to drip feed in on a Monday, this is what's happening on Saturday. Before video on that, really, as well, there's not a lot of video, but he'd be, you're playing Inverness, he's talking about their back four, how they are, this is how they'll sit, here's how we score goals, it was all about us. Uh, going to play, going to play Celtic, I remember, and he's saying their fullbacks are good on the ball, but we're just going to leave three up the pitch. Well, let's see how good they are, how brave they are. Because I was in the midfield with, I think, I can't even remember, Boozy at the time, probably. And uh, when we win it, it's, it's Reardon and it's O'Connor. I think Dean Shields was playing as well. I think we played two wingers and a centre-forward. They said, I don't, don't come back, you three, up front. Let's see if they commit bodies forward. These, I know you're paraphrasing, but these sound like nuggets of information which, A, are clear... Be easy to remember and mm-hmm. see they carry a conviction about it. Because even if you're saying this is how we're going to score, deep in the message there is we're going to score. Yeah. And if, if you do these things, you can win. You know, like, let's not go there and see if we'll not get beat. If we defend right, there's the spaces. Here's how we score goals. And we went to Rangers and won 3 nothing twice in a season. Uh, we went to Celtic and won 3 1, went to Tynecastle and won. The team was good. <laughs> we got beat at home or I can't even remember but first game we got beat at home off Kilmarnock deflected free kick and normally you're waiting for the manager to go mental he didn't he's like keep playing like that we'll win plenty he was happy with the performance. what he seen the result now put this result aside I can yeah. see that you were doing it right yeah he's big on performance level mm-hmm. so you keep that performance level you're going to win games mm-hmm. Don't panic. See, that's the consistency that you've talked about that builds yeah. a relationship. Because you go out and do what he says, you get beat and he hammers you. You're like, oh, a lot of managers don't have the self-possession to do that. It's the courage of their own convictions as well. Here's how we're going to play. This is us and we'll trust it. I think if you keep changing as well, players smell it a mile off. And it's now you don't know what you're doing. I, I often describe, it's a horrible image. But like, if you were in a swimming pool full of sharks, a swimming pool, not a sea, you tiny drop of blood... I've often said I think that's what dressing rooms in football are like. Yeah. Does that sound right? Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, this this happens less, I suppose, when you're in a position now. But at Atlanta, a couple of the players probed a little bit, I think, to see if I knew what I was doing, which was all right. 
I, and I actually was quite glad they did because it gave me an opportunity without being I'm coming in to do this they poke a little question try to be smart smart ass like in a meeting or a, or a video and straight away you got an answer it's, yeah, what's the problem and that, and that spreads through the ranks like. yeah because the players know as well oh, that one's asking a question because he's the one that's going to and they all there's wee fractions there anyway but they would know when he asks a question that's not for the group so it was like we went through the coaches room after and the boys and the staff were like what's that question about I, said, I know what the question is about it's all good I'm glad it came Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm going to screw up here because there's another sponsor's question, Bet365, and so you're allowed to go, not. I, I was really excited this season, even though I was at 
Wembley working with Spain and I want them to win and they won on penalties and just like in the under 21s in 1996 but I like General Caviali a mm-hmm. lot you worked for him yeah were you pleased at all to see him part of that dugout with Mancini his buddy from all them years ago like Glass and Solano it runs together isn't it yeah. Nobby and Stephen Gianluca and Roberto <laughs> they're a little bit better yeah. well, like, neither, I mean, well half neither, of them were neither of them can play a trumpet like, that's Nobby true Nobby can. can play but you know Luke has gone through two stuff. cancer yeah. battles mm-hmm. won them still looks fabulous and he's there with his pal lifting the ear. did you have a warm relationship with them at Watford what did you think of him I think yeah. as a man you can't help be impressed with the fella because he's he's yeah. He's cut from different stuff. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah. I actually loved him, yeah. He was uh, a great manager. He, he was still in the condition that he could play in demo mm. and the stuff you mentioned before with Hulit. Just a great guy, yeah. Really, really good manager. Good people, person. Um, I, I think he was better than us. Almost too good, probably. Because uh, he did well at Chelsea and stuff. And then came to Watford to... Uh, you're talking about Chelsea and Watford. That's I remember people at Chelsea that he fell out with. That, sorry, that fell out with him. Talked about him being ultra demanding. Mm-hmm. Like, so, for example, we'd we'd love a big interview with Jody Morris where he said, "Listen, okay, look, let's just level up here." When when Luca was a player, yeah, perfection on the pitch and the train on that. But Luca was a player. He'd be sitting in his bed, start bullet naked. We'd be sharing a hotel away on a trip. He'd have a cigar and he'd order a McDonald's and he'd be like, "Mon Jody." But in training, it, it was, like, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and then as a coach, one of the things I think that took him a while was he expected everybody to be at mm-hmm. it as much as him. And not everybody can reach that. Everybody's got their own levels. Yeah. And yeah. Was there any uh, remnants of that at, at Watford? No, not, not overly. But I, th- I think one of the issues was he, he's used to operating at the top, top level. And then he's dealing with people that are not. So there's, unless your tolerance level is unbelievable, your patience and your pure understanding of people in different walks, then you're going to have a problem. But I think he was an unbelievable manager, a great guy, another great manager that I was lucky to play for. So Ray Wilkins was there with him. What a guy he was. Ray Lewington was there. Coach that's been around everywhere, still doing a hell of a job. Yeah. So even being at Watford at that time, the the managers that I got to play for were great. But Viale was amazing, and I was delighted that he that he's well still here and he's healthy and he's doing what he did. We wind towards the last section. I, I I'm definitely going to blow my own trumpet because you won't do yours. So to hell. Leaving 1996. Euros, Scotland knocked out by, I think, a goal that Clivert scores, and I thought, clever Dick. I write a column about Hodgkinson's a good goalkeeper's coach, and I went back to every World Cup that I'd been, Scotland, or mm-hmm. competition that Scotland had played in while I was alive, which the first one that we, we competed in when I was a kid was 74, and I counted how many times we'd gone out just by a goal or two, yeah. either by goal difference, or when a goal would have meant a draw was a win, and... and yeah. And I wrote this big clever dick column about should be a striker's coach. Apparently they exist now and, and yeah. conceptually you've brought one mm-hmm. to Pitodri. Yeah. Tell us about him and tell about that tell us about that role. The first thing to say, and I've said this in 
interviews before. He's, he's Alan is more than a striker coach, so that, that's the first thing to say. But so the relationship started 2010, 2011. We, well, not we. I went to America to finish my career, and Alan was just already there for a year or so. And two Scottish guys <laughs> sitting on the bench. I was going to say playing, but we sat on the bench for the same team. So we, we really got it's on. It's in North Carolina. In North Carolina, yeah. And we, we hit it off, just got on really well. Um, and stayed in touch, really, just over the course of years. And just talking about football all the time. Alan had his business. He's got a business mind that's always moving. Uh, he got more and more into the coaching as well. So he, he came home, he gambled, came home to nothing from jobs in America and built up the, the striker coaching, uh, superior striker, his, his coaching business. Uh, was noticed how well he was doing through England. Got invited into the England camp, doing bits and pieces, then became a part of the staff. So when I was thinking I'd get an opportunity maybe at this year, starting to interview, what would, what would your staff look like? I wanted to get Alan on board and I didn't know if he would do it. So I think we're, we're fortunate to be able to get him. Uh, he's brilliant. In the, in the club did I see a wee moment in Iceland was there a goal in our I think away tie was mm-hmm. it where it was pre-rehearsed and it had been worked out yeah Calvin puts the ball in yeah and there's there was a, two I thought there was a wee bit of celebration I thought I they've worked on that yeah there, there was two I think actually the one where we were kind of laughing was because we scored the second one off it and it was less rehearsed than the first one which they were both semi-rehearsed but and the first one's actually interesting. We did a thing with some people at the club last night, and we were—I was telling you, I'm not like—I I can remember stuff sometimes. So well, I was looking through what video we're going to show this group of people last night, and so we showed them a pre-match thing. I said I want to show them some set-piece stuff as well that Alan works on. So I said to Alan, "Do you remember the end of the training session in Iceland?" And he says, "Nah." I says, "Right at the end." And he's saying, I don't remember. So earlier that day, I'd spoke to Henry, and I says, pull me up that video of the training session in Iceland. I want to see it right to the end. So getting information into players when you can't do a lot on the grass. Calvin is practising his deliveries from set pieces, hitting the front area, back area. And Alan walked over, and I was getting a ball in, and I heard Alan say to him, I'm going to get you at practice one, and we're not going to stand and practice it in case people are here. He said, I'm going to go in, I want you to whip it on the grass to the front post area where Ramirez scored the goal. So on the video, the training video, Alan goes, walks into the box and stands right where Ramirez, I could show you at some point. And Calvin does his signal, goes, whips it right on Alan's right foot. Alan missed, he was laughing last night. So, but he didn't run, he just standing. So uh, we're showing them the, the detail that goes into it, but we didn't practice it. We tried it against Hibs last year and someone didn't do their job right or we would have scored. One of the players that was meant to do something else and I won't give too much away, but no. someone didn't do their job. So Camberry didn't get a shot off because of someone else. So we showed them, the only work we did on it was telling Calvin where to hit it and then showing them last year's mistake and then showing them a graphic. So Alan's depth of... Uh, 
being thorough, that's a terrible phrase, but yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And Henry's good at showing people how to get it in the video and stuff as well. Without being too nostalgic, it does feel that this should fit at this club because it, you know, one of the most famous nights in our history was against <coughs> Bayern Munich, mm-hmm. where we're losing, and, and yeah. Gordon and, and John McMaster, I mean, two world-class footballers, John underestimated because his left foot was, well, I'm speaking to somebody who resembles that, that use of a left foot and the bumping into each other thing yeah. that people have forgotten yeah. that was pinched by Jock Steen for the first game of the World Cup in 82 against New Zealand and it worked again and this yeah. thing and by a minute were caught out that was an, that's, that's an individual example but there was another one under Ferguson at Park Thistle where a player actually ran over the ball and everybody was like and he ran all the way around the corner ended up back in the box chipped it in and I think it strikes me that working out how to do things that you can do effectively but other people aren't anticipating yeah. should obviously be part of football. But it's, I don't think this rule Alan's got is very common yet. Yeah, no, it's not. But but he does get pigeonholed as the forward striker or the set piece guy and stuff like that because he, he was he was the he was England set piece and forwards. He's the assistant manager here that is good at what he does. Uh, I think you ask any of the players we're all hands on with how we coach and how we work but Alan he's, he's hungry to get better as a coach he's not worked in a club environment before but he's, he's a great person he's great at his work and honestly we're really really lucky to have him because day by day should make you more fertile because yeah. in an international thing the other complaint is we'll only see them every two three months I might not yeah. get the guys we want and yeah Whereas you can, you've got a real chance to either build on something quickly at a club level or erase a mistake quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way we work, we're all very involved in the decisions. It's not, I don't like to be, this is what's happening and you guys deal with it. I prefer to be, let's all get involved. I know I have to make the final decision. Mm-hmm. But I think the level of involvement that Alan and Scott and Henry get, I think mm-hmm. they're, they're happy with the way that we work as a group. There's no heart in Henry, but before we close, I have to know more about Scott because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's had... You, what you suffer when you're my age is everybody moaning to you about Willie Miller, for example, or Big Dude Rugby, and then years later they go, oh, I wish we had him. Yeah. So the biter's now bit because Scott's bullied the life out, scared the life out of our players since he was born, either for Hibs or particularly for Celtic, and you're like... Yeah, because I'm a belligerent type (laughs) but you do want that here now as a player however well he plays this season or next season Mm -hmm. I don't think that's his major major role I think personality with you in that group on the training ground that's probably the major reason that Scott Brown is here tell people that don't know him the person about him and why you vouched uh, faith in him in terms of leadership on the pitch I don't think there's anybody better and I think he's proved it over the last 15 years and I think he's already proved it in a red jersey uh, he he wanted to be involved in a coaching staff that was that he was involved in it he, he could have stayed at Celtic uh, they were desperate to keep him he would have still been playing probably I think that says how much how lucky we are to get him as well that, that a club that's won everything for the last 10-15 years whatever it is actually still wanted to keep him their captain uh, but he's he's driven he wants to get better he wants to learn everything about managing and coaching while still focusing on being one of the best professionals at the club 
he, he puts demand on everybody. The young players are seeing it. Everybody in the whole club can feel he's got a presence. And I, I spoke to him over the years, but obviously you're away, you're on the phone all the time, and I forgot how much of a physical presence he's got when you meet him. He, he's an imposing character, uh, and I think having him in the group. But every, everybody loves him. Guys that have hated him love him. Uh, it's, it's normal though for me. It's like it's like you said earlier, like when growing up a United fan, how much does it matter when you play against them? It doesn't matter at all. If you hated Scott Brown, now he plays for your team. Do you not want your team to win because Scott Brown plays for it? No, you want Scott Brown to be the best player. And you want everybody else to hate him. Mm-hmm. Which hopefully if we're doing our job right, they, they will. The buzz is that going through his badges, his peers said, stand out. Quality. He is still in that bit of learning and not just be the captain who says, mm-hmm. do this, do that. But how to communicate, how to inspire, how to take people aside, mm-hmm. maybe how to advise you. You're, he's got to be careful too, because he can't be seen by somebody as God. If I confide in Scott, the player, I shall go straight to manager. That, yeah. That's the way dressing rooms work. Yeah, I, I think no. I think Scott before he before he came in, it was all done. Before he came in, I said to him, "Where are you going to change?" And he said, "I was thinking the same thing." And I said, well, to me, I think you change with the players because they, they know you're with us as well anyway. The assistant manager of the club. So they know. You, you want the best for the club. There's stuff that goes on that Scott won't hear about for the players. I'm 100% sure. And he's the same. He's talked to me about it. I'm sure there's a message. Like, there's a group message with the players that Scott's on and I'm sure there's a group message that Scott's not on. Probably healthy that way. Yeah. Think? Yeah, it doesn't put Scott in a situation... He also knows, and the players know, if something comes to me through Scott, I've still got to make the decision. It's not Scott Brown making the decision. He's decided it's worth this has to come with you. Or he's filtering it and saying, nah, just leave it. So he, he's in a position that's difficult, but he's brilliant at it. Mm. Uh, he spends enough time with us. He spends the usual time with the players. He gives the players information that he needs to. He's He's ever we expected. I, I have to say, you told me very early on you're going to be impressed by the team I'm putting together, and I am, and I'm excited, and I can see a lot of things happening. I can't stop without saying that, although I don't spend a lot of time in this company, um, the chairman has imbued me with a sense of momentum, ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, I like him, I like listening to him. I love the fact that he's an absolute out-and-out dandy who's been on the terraces, who's done the travelling. Yeah. But I also approve of his... He seems modern. I like the fact that he, he put so much trust in you. What is the commonality between you and him and Atlanta? Is it that your personalities are all um, jigsaw click anyway? Or has Atlanta taught you and him things that unite you? I don't know, because it's only... That's what's happened to me. So I think... There's almost a misconception that I went to Atlanta because Dave was there. So that, that that's almost out there, I think. It's like I went there because of that. I was coaching youths in North Carolina and went to Atlanta United because of Tony Allen. So he, he took me into the academy. Get to know a local businessman that happens to be Scottish and then he happens to be the Aberdeen chairman. So that, that kind of just became natural. Uh, and people say you've got a chance to get to know him over two, three years. And I'm just working away. I'm, 
Atlanta United first team coach at one point, I'm not really thinking about coming home. So I think the big thing for me was the comfort level knowing I had two or three years to show that I'm not the right person for this club just through my everyday life and how I'm working. And there's also the opportunity for him to be assessing me constant. So almost without knowing it, you're doing this interview that's, hmm. I don't know, two, three years, hmm. whatever. So pretty easy to mess up over that length of time if you're acting. But I was driven to be the best coach I could. And I think he saw it. I think he saw how my team's played. He saw what Atlanta had taught me. I don't think the commonality of Atlanta United and him and me is anything. I think it's the just the fact that he was in the area when I went there. But as a drive, I mean, presumably being part of a, a champion franchise yeah. suited you very well because those are your standards. It's what you wanted as a footballer. It's mm. what you want as a coach. That excellence, winning, trying to repeat win. Yeah. Presumably that was the atmosphere when Tata Martino was there. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't involved in it, though. I was no, but you were able to... No, I'm not talking yeah. about you coaching the glory. Yeah. You're part of a culture. You're there oh, yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah. The attitudes, the the shared success, the feeling yeah. of this is a champion club. Is what I mean. Yeah, that, I think even go back to the original coming in here at twelve and thirteen. It's when I was coaching kids in North Carolina. I wanted them to be the best. When I was coaching my seventeens at Atlanta, I wanted them to be the best. To me, it didn't matter what club I was coaching for, uh, and the attachment to. Atlanta winning the MLS it's actually funny because uh, I've got a ring you know you get the, the ring so everybody at the club Darren Eels organised that everybody got this ring so I'd been working at Atlanta United in the academy and Tony Annan says to me you need to go and get measured for your ring and I thought he was winding me up I was like yeah good one and he's like no you need to go and get measured <laughs> nah, yeah come on mate I coached the 17th so I, I don't feel like I was part of, I've not got a picture with the trophy because I wasn't part of winning there's, there's pictures of everybody in the club with holding the MLS Cup I never had any part in it so I've not got a picture with the Cup you need to win a trophy here then that's how we fix it well look, before I, before I get you talking more than you want to about Calvin Ramsey oh. <laughs> yeah. Aberdonian Cafu I, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there for discussion I think we'll leave it by saying you know the team meeting with Alan and Scott and Henry about which TV to buy. But for the meantime... <laughs> They're trying to help me. This has been the big working. interview with Stephen Glass, who hasn't got a photo of the MLS trophy, but will have a photo of him and the squad with a trophy one up there. in this boardroom. <laughs> about him in a jersey. Then, then what days? Then what days? 1996. It, I tell you... It, I went to that, I went to that, I was, Big McLeish got me a ticket, right, behind the goal, not fully sober, I'd have to say, we stood afterwards when we got into the city centre, we stood on the table in some daft bob on George Square, singing over and over again, it's a goal, Duncan Shearer, walking in a Shearer wonderland. So I've tried not to make this wholly about Aberdeen, you're the Aberdeen manager, but for my taste, you had a career of elegance and success and it was interesting and I wanted to talk about all of that. But if you want to come back another day and talk us through the 90 minutes of the, I mean, beating the D as well, I mean, it must have been a hell of a day. I know you don't care about the opposition. Like I do when it was them. 
different. It's different. because they're good, it's different. But sorry, Charlie Adam, wherever you are. Charlie's all right. Charlie's a funny boy as well. So. Uh, he's fantastic. Well, listen, um, manager Stephen Glass in the hallowed, hallowed environs of Aberdeen's boardroom. Gracias, Mister. Cheers, yeah. Muy bien. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.